The crime wave is high with muggings, mysterious. All police and detectives are furious because they can't find the source of this lethally evil force. This is serious, so give me a quarter. I was a witness, get me a reporter. Call April O'Neil on in this case. You better hurry up, there's no time to waste. We need help quick on the double, have pity on the city man, it's in trouble. We need heroes like the Lone Ranger. When Tonto came pronto, when there was danger. They didn't say we'd be there in half an hour because they displayed turtle power. T-U-R-T-L-T power. T-U-R-T-L-T Yeah! That was Partners in Crimes. Crime with a K. Wow. Turtle power. Here's what's terrible. Here, I did not recognize that from the lyrics. But the cadence was so similar to the Ghostbusters song by Bobby Brown. Mm-hmm. It is. That I was like, well, this is clearly a god-awful song made for a movie. What else could it be? <laughs> ah, I know. That isn't Ghostbusters 2. That is isn't Ghostbusters 2. Really, yeah. That's so funny. The, the, those songs are almost identical except for the chorus. Because the chorus of the Turtles song, like, it just tries to sound like an it's, action movie. Yeah, well, it's, like, it's this, like, vocoder thing that's just, like, repeating T-U-R-T-L yeah. power, right? Yeah. Yes. And then, you know, uh, the Bobby Brown one goes full Motown swing. Oh, yeah, he's got some pipes. It's, it's, it. <laughs> oh, I guess we're going to... All right, no. <laughs> Wait, no... Two slow jams? Unacceptable. <laughs> what, what do you think this is? No, don't. See? Man, that sounds a banger. We're so white. The whitest. The, oh, yeah. the, uh, oh, that's white. the Continue Podcast in a nutshell, that's everybody. Okay. Yeah, yeah. We are singing songs where it is culturally inappropriate 90% of the time. My name is Anthony John Agnello. And this is our show that is ostensibly about us talking about video games. Uh, with me, as always, is Susan Arndt. Uh, my voice has recovered from Thursday night, which was Halloween, when I was a mad scientist giving out the candies. An to, amazing to mad the, scientist. The local children. Yes, I, uh, I had a whole patter when they would come up. So we had a setup at our house with, uh, you know disembodied body parts in in jars of formaldehyde and and some of them were draining blood and then we had a, a big wheel and the kids would come up and spin the wheel and whatever picture they landed on that's the bucket they got to choose their camp their candy from was one of them the hand like <laughs> no, <got> to- <laughs> yeah. oh you no. got the although, hand although, kid reach in we, we did have one kid like come up. She's like, can I touch the blood? Like, wow, <laughs> I need yeah. to talk to your mom. But yeah, but it was a, it was a whole bit. And I, I did it. Do you like science? Would you care <laughs> to help me with an experiment? I need more data. So it was a whole thing. Okay, oh, God, I, that hurt. I, I'm, I'm asking you this from a place of love. Did anyone yes. think that you were Morty from Rick and Morty? Surprisingly, no. I oh, look okay. like wow. I'm looking at it. I, I looked at the photo, the pictures of me afterwards. I'm like, holy shit, this is just a Rick costume. 
See, I I went with uh, my first one was Beekman's World. Yeah, which it's was like, yeah. oh, Beekman finally went gray. That was a compliment. It, I took that as yeah, a compliment. Yeah, that's a that's a highest compliment. Yeah. And then because I'm a goddamn nerd, my other one was like, Susan kind of looks like Dr. Mudo from the PlayStation wow. 2 action game. Wow. <laughs> Dr. Mudo. Wow. <laughs> I got, and, uh, no, I got, uh, are you Einstein? Okay, sure. No, but he's my cousin on my mother's side. <laughs> and uh, uh, are you a real scientist? I got that as well. Could be like I'm a language scientist. <laughs> <laughs> yes, of course, I do science every day, sometimes twice. So. Like you don't need uh, a degree to be a scientist, kid. Yeah, that's, that's right. <laughs> uh, that, that fount of wisdom right there is Dave Roberts. Man... You ever just get tired by the yeah. <laughs> by the discourse? Oh God, yes. What did I tell you about the discourse, Dave? Oh, what did so I tell b- you about the discourse? It's not even out yet. Death Stranding's not even out yet. Don't. Isn't it? It comes no, out next, next week. week. Oh, okay. And I'm already I, tired of the discourse. Oh, I actually, heard. let's let's cover this on the air, Susan. Do you want to be here for the Death Stranding episode? I because, absolutely do. Because you have to be here for the Death Stranding yes. <laughs> episode. 100%. Get, I want to be here ta- for the going to talk Kojima. Yeah. It's going to happen. I'm really excited about it. I'm like, I'm on a, I've been realizing that my distance, and you, got, you guys have known this pleasure for a while now. I'm newly released back into the wild of being away from the games journalism machine. Right, you don't have to do the grind. Basis. And I am now just, like, excited about games again. Uh-huh. Yeah, like, it's wild, can, right? Like, like, Death Stranding's coming out, and I'm like, that's gonna be fucking tight! And people are like, I have friends who are like, yo, did you get an early release? I'm like, no! <laughs> no! I'm gonna play it like a normal person, uh-huh. like a plebe, and it's gonna rule. They're like, have you been reading the reviews? No, no, I don't care. <laughs> I don't give a flying shit. Yeah, what a bunch of people who were fucking gaslit into playing, <laughs> playing forty hours of weird days. thinky surrealism in ten days. I don't know. Uh, I don't want to know what they think. That is. <laughs> hey, everybody, let's go to Metacritic and see what a bunch of people who were poisoned think about the same thing. <laughs> I that will say great. Tim Rogers' video review is great because it's largely not about Death Stranding. Oh, yeah. Uh, Well, like, there's a part at the end where he's like, I ran, uh, like, I've just been running the same 20 minutes in this hour-long video, uh, and I got bored. So he strapped a bunch of, like, toilet paper to his back, put his Pomeranian in a pouch (laughs) on his front, put a hat on, and started walking around Manhattan with a Monster Energy drink. Uh, there are also boxes of Lucky Charms that kept falling off, <laughs> so he kept like stacking it up on top. Yeah, it was great. Oh uh, god, that's good. I really like that. Susan, I actually loved something that you got into in Discourse Town mm. uh, that I wanted to highlight at the top of the show because okay. I thought it was such a wonderful point. Uh, it's not that big a deal to play something early. It's really not. It's really... It's, it's really not. Really not. It, there are times, and unfortunately, these times are largely gone. There was an era where it was at least intellectually interesting to play an early release of something, 
because back in the day, sometimes it was different mm. than what would come out. Uh, oh, or, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like early DS games and stuff, you you would ha- you would get a cartridge that was a prototype cartridge. It had a sticker on it with like yeah. had a sticker on it. Yeah, and, typing on it. You know, sometimes sometimes what was on there that you would have to send back to a publisher mm-hmm. would be different. But I mean that that is ten years gone that culture at this point. So why why would you like people to understand this fact about being somebody who who reviews new games? Because okay, so uh, the discourse kicked up. Uh, it, it was all about, first of all, how, how game journalists should never complain about anything. Because, yeah. Well, because they're making so much money. <laughs> and, well, because apparently Kotaku's minimum salary, and let's remember, these are, pe- these are members of a union. Who also live in New York City. Who also live in New York freaking city. Uh, the, the minimum salary for a writer is $50,000. First of all, not everybody who writes for Kotaku is staff. Yeah. So they don't get that. Also, fifty thousand dollars in New York City is is fuck nothing. All. Hey, yeah. hey, guys, let me tell you, as somebody who tried to survive for a very long time in New York City on forty four thousand dollars a year, yeah. a long time ago. Yeah. No, I had a spouse. I had a <laughs> oh yeah, that's that's yeah. Like I I I. People don't understand the economics of the situation. Like, I had some, like, guy from the UK, like, the average salary in the UK is 33,000 pounds. I'm like, okay, first of all, your health care is paid for. Your, your health care is paid for. $700 <laughs> of my paycheck, this is after taxes, by the way, goes to my health care. So, mm-hmm. boosh, like, gone, right? Like, you're not, it's, it's not, it's not apples to apples. But anyway, so, with regard to reviews, there's still, that like, there's, I mean, there's always hostility uh, uh, towards game journalists, period. But there's this particular hostility towards game reviewers born of jealousy. Let's just call it what it is. People mm-hmm. are jealous because mm-hmm. they believe, oh, my God, you, your job is so sweet. You just get to play awesome video games all day long. And, say, and I could do that. Right. That's that's the the common misconception is you get to play a video game and then tell people what you think of it and you you get and you make a living off that and that's awesome. And that's the perception. And you get all this really awesome swag and you get to play all the great games early and like okay. There are grains of truth in that. You play games before they are released typically. Absolutely true. Who gives a fuck? Yeah. What that means in practice <clears throat> is that when the rest of the world is excitedly talking about whatever, you don't care. You're all you're completely you're excluded. Over it. You also, and because you have to you have to sacrifice hours and hours of time to do it, you inevitably there are there's like a spectrum. Of embitteredness oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> that sets in. And on the one end, it is true cynicism sets in, mm-hmm. and you find it difficult to enjoy things. And this is this is something that has affected criticism since it existed. You know, if you go back and read opinions of people who were literary critics at the end of the 19th century, even then, 
people would accuse critics of being like, well, you don't like things that are popular. You just like weird, <laughs> artsy, difficult things. Moby and Dick, this, pass. Pass. <laughs> flow bear, more like flow butts. Uh, you like, you know, you, you by dint of the fact that you have to constantly be shotgunning games, mm. you tend to get a flavor for extreme things. Well, and it's true. You're also one, you don't like, if you get stuck in a game, you're fucked. Um, mm-hmm. if you hit a bug, you're fucked. Cause you're playing the game before any of the fixes are out before anyone has posted a walkthrough. Like it, it's not as fun as you'd think it is. <laughs> No. I mean, also, there's the, the because the focus is always on Red Dead Redemption 2 or Death Stranding or whatever. Yeah, there's a whole lot of games that aren't them. Oh, and yeah. that's what you're reviewing most of the time. You yeah. are reviewing seven out of tens. Seven, and, seven out of tens and like seven out of tens that should be fives. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, that's a separate conversation. And like, OK, again, no, this is not backbreaking work. You are not sacrificing your body you are not out in the freezing cold you know doing construction and uh yes there are jobs a lot of them that are far more important like teachers and doctors Mm -hmm. and engineers i don't that's that's just true okay like this is still a fun job compared to most other jobs absolutely true but most of the time you're playing something you don't actually give a shit about you're playing it in a way that is usually the complete antithesis of the way you want to play games. Like when you want to play a game, you're looking forward to it. It's like, I want to take my time with it. I'm going to, I'm going to stop, go make myself a sandwich. Oh, maybe I'm going to wait till Friday night when the kids are asleep, whatever. You don't get, you don't get that Maybe I don't feel like playing a game right now. I just want to read a book. Oh, Mm -hmm. mm -mm. (coughs) no, you don't, you don't get that. It is a job. It is no longer something you are choosing to do. It is now something that you have to do. If you get into a game that sucks, tough shit, tough you shit. have to keep playing it. And and there's, you know, oh, well, that's just, I can still do that. And maybe you can. But being able to play a game and have an opinion is not the same as being able to play a game on demand and have an opinion that people will want to consume. Yeah. And then and, and, an opinion that people will then yell at you for having oh, <laughs> yeah. loudly. Well, that's, yeah. <laughs> and, and spoiler warning, kids, all that effort doesn't benefit the people publishing it in any significant way. Reviews are garbage for traffic. They are garbage for traditional traffic. That's, traditional. Yeah. For true. everything. They're, brand, but the they're biggest, brand builders like that's brand builders. Yeah. But for like anything that isn't a tentpole release, those. Oh, seasons, that's true. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah, like, no, that's true. Yes. You need the Death Stranding review. But, you know, you want to review the nonary games. Yeah. But nobody's nobody's clicking through on that shit. I, I mean, I just I keep going back to the fact that I had to basically draw a line in the sand at Games Radar and say, I'm reviewing Persona 5. Right. This is a thing we're that is going it. to happen. And yep. they were like, well, you know, if you're playing it on your own time and writing it on your own time, then I guess, sure, we'll run it. What? Yeah. <sighs> right. Like, well, first of all, I have only ever gotten to play on company time one game, one Mass Effect 3. And it was because, surprise, I had no fucking time to play it. 
Yeah. Because that was a game I absolutely had to play to completion in order to review it. And uh, had no goddamn time. So that was it. Otherwise, it was always, 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 every game I reviewed was on my own personal mm-hmm. time. Stay, like, I regularly stayed up to, like, 2 in the morning. Mm-hmm. It's not no. healthy. No, it's not. I'm now trying to think if there's ever a game that I reviewed on company time. Like, during daylight hours, mm-hmm. I'm going to go play this because that's what I need to be doing for work. I don't think it ever happened. Yeah, and there I mean, are... <laughs> no, there are definitely things I reviewed for Joystick that, like, I streamed in the yeah, middle oh, for of the sure. day yeah, yeah, yeah. and then reviewed two days later. Yep. But Oh, yeah. Uh, I don't. I don't think that necessarily counts. I think today's show is especially interesting because this is the first episode of Continue in a long time where all three of us are playing brand new games, also brand new games that many people will actually give a shit about, and also <laughs> brand new games that I think are all what you could broadly consider from the outside like sevens out of tens. In that you know they're they're very interesting. But maybe not perfect. Maybe no, not like. I will no? go as high as eight. You got an eight? You got an eight on your hand? I, I, I have a potential so. game of the year on my hand. Oh, what? shit. What? Yeah. Let's, let's start there, Dave. Let's, let's go into the realm of the weird game oh, yeah. in this lineup. Uh, let's talk about Disco Elysium, a game that I'm very excited it's, about. It's so good. God, yeah. I want to play this game so it's bad. It's so good. <laughs> So I think a lot of people only know that this is a Western uh, CRPG. Yeah. But that doesn't really explain. No. So, yeah. So the the general sort of genre conceit of it is that it's made by a bunch of people who grew up playing games like uh, Baldur's Gate, mm-hmm. playing uh, Planescape Torment. They specifically mention like Planescape Torment as a huge inspiration. And that shows because the point of... Planescape Torment wasn't really the combat, it was the dialogue, it was the choices, it was crafting your character and getting into situations and like exploring this like weird, interesting world. Um, and like what the writer, uh, Robert Kurvitz, uh, like grew up playing D&D, grew up playing these games and wanted to make like his own world like that. And so what he's crafted here is a game called Disco Elysium, uh, along with the team of I don't know how many other people are there, but um, I know they have like eight writers on staff is what I've heard. Uh, Like over a million words in this game. Basically, you are a detective who wakes up in this city known as Revishal in this like weird sort of alternate version of Earth. Very similar political conflicts, very similar sort of like like grungy cities of... uh, of, uh, commerce and like labor struggles and all that stuff but there's like a weird sci-fi almost magical realist bent to it where like in between these continents there's a thing called the pale which is like this metaphysical mist kind of thing that blends the fabric of reality like people change when they go through this but they have to do it if they want to trade between like countries like mm. there are people who work on like airships that go between these these countries and, like if you stay in can there too fly, long and like fly over it can you fly you're still going through the pale it's almost it's almost that. like dark matter in that way where it's like it's just there and it's growing you're perpetually going beyond the, the yeah pale. beyond the pale. Uh, I'm sorry. anyway so when I'm, you're I, ca- I, I, <laughs> 
Your character wakes up knowing none of this. Doesn't remember his name. He doesn't remember his job. He doesn't remember the city he's in. He doesn't even know the building that he's staying at. Um, but the character that you create at the beginning based on the stats that you pick, it could be really easy to find that stuff out. You can suss it out with like uh, intellectual clues or you just have to like ask around uh, to try to figure that out. Um, so essentially you're going around this like Baldur's, like it's very Baldur's Gate and that it's like this overhead view. Uh, you've got your character and there's another party member who joins you eventually. He's like your, your partner. And so you have a goal. You're trying to solve a mystery in this town of uh, who killed this guy who's currently hanging in a tree. He's been hanging there for three days um, while you've been staying in this hotel. And you need to find out who you are. And that's how it starts. There's no combat like at, at all. all. At all. It's all based in skill checks. It actually reminds me a lot of those... Do you remember those, like, Joe Deaver books, or I think his name is? They're, like, these old, like, role-playing books. Like, you would create a character, you would roll dice, and it's all skill checks. Uh, like, choose-your-own-adventure books. No because Joe no Deaver? Yeah, like, he has a game on Switch now. Um, it, but it's, yeah, it's basically, like, it's a choose-your-own-adventure book, but with stats in it. And with like dice rolling and stuff, but that's all this mm-hmm, game is, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, is that like you're walking around this world, you're talking to people and every conversation is essentially like a stat roll because all of your skills are like 24 different pieces of your psyche that all talk to you and they all have different desires and needs and wants and will help you or hurt you in different ways based on how many points you have in these stats so, like, one of the stats you have is electrochemistry, and all it wants to do is get high. All it wants to do <laughs> is, like, smoke, drink, find drugs. That's all it wants to do. And so anytime, like, someone's, like someone break, puffs out a cigarette, your electrochemistry will do a skill check, and it'll pop up in the dialogue window going, like, hey, you should get some of those smokes, man. Like, you'll feel real good if you do it. And then it'll actually pop up dialogue choices that wouldn't be there if that skill check didn't happen where you can ask him if he'll give you some smokes and that can lead to other skill checks that will allow you to like convince him what you want to do, um, uh, branch out dialogue paths in other ways. Uh, th- just the way that it's constantly reacting to how you're talking to people is unlike anything I've seen in, in a game, like at all, like there, there's, there's stuff like you have empathy so like your ability to empathize with people will constantly pop up and will actually give you like hints on dialogue options. It'll say like, Hey, there's one, like one of these choices in this list, like maybe don't ask that, like you're gonna, you're gonna scare her away. And so like you can ask it and it'll do exactly what it says, or you can like avoid it and move down a different path of, uh, of, of dialogue. Why doesn't this get tedious? Because I, something that, I am fairly new to the world of pen and paper role-playing games. It's something I've been dabbling with in the past year. And I have found that the thing that you have to constantly... Like, a good dungeon master will do this for you. You have to either constantly check yourself or have somebody check you. Like, stop trying to metagame this. Stop Mm -hmm. trying to, like, think what's going to, like, suit me and my stats the best and just be 
this character, and with all of these different things popping up all the time, it sounds like that might get a little wearying. Well, one, the the writing is fantastic. Like, whatever oh, whatever choice that you want to pick, there, there's, like, there are ways to steer conversations to keep things relatively normal, or you could decide to just, like, go full weird with your questions. Uh, because you don't know who you are or where you're from, uh, that gives your character sort of... Uh, leniency to uh, start acting weird with other people and because you're a detective like people just go like oh, like well I'm not gonna like tell this guy to fuck off like he's a cop um, but uh, so just the, the writing the overall writing and the world is enticing enough that it keeps it from from being bogged down in stats. The other is that it's really malleable. Like if you fail a stat check, there are probably like five Bridget! other ways to get what you want. So like there's Let a part go. where I go into this bookstore and this woman that you talk to, like you start to learn that like she thinks that this building is cursed, that it has cursed her business with the, an inability to make money. So you go to these curtains and you can go to open them up and then the woman's like, Hey, don't do that. There's stuff back there. I don't want you to, that's where the curse is. Don't go back there. And you can either, that's where the curse is. Yeah. You can ignore her, open up the curtains and then, um, try to open the door and find out that it's locked. And so you could either go talk to her and try to scam your way into convincing her that you're a paranormal investigator mm -hmm. and will take care of the curse for her, or you can just bash the door in. And failure often leads to additional threads that you can follow and additional things that you can can experience. So like one of the first the very first sort of story-based quest that you get is getting this body off of the tree. Just, it's been hanging there for days. It smells awful. You need to send it to the morgue to investigate it. You go up to it, and one of the skill checks is like, okay, lean in close and see if your body can withstand the odor. You cannot. You wretch, and it's like, okay, well, we need to find something. We need to find ammonia to, to like get you over the smell. But what it also does is it unlocks a thought that get it's like a perk that goes in your thought locker which you can ruminate on over several hours which will give you bonuses to help you overcome that issue um and other issues later on like they actually change the way that you think about like different uh like change dialogue options um like one of the things that i was able to think about was like trying to remember what my home address was and it hmm. takes six hours of in-game time to do it, but once you do, you get bonuses to your to your stats and stuff. But it also changes like how future dialogue options actually progress. It's fast. So where's it, it? Where is it all headed? Like I don't I, know. It's, like, like all of these systems sound super interesting, and I can imagine getting caught up in the momentum of it. Yeah. Of of sort of just every single choice being compelling enough on its own that you're not wanting puzzles or combat or all of the things that usually accompany this. But, like, is it building ahead of steam? You know, does it feel like it's 
accumulating uh, emotional uh, steam, for lack of a better word, to pay off in some sort of way. I think it will. Right now, it, like I'm only about seven hours in, and I've only explored one section of this town because it's so dense. There's just so many people to talk to, and they all have their own little weird stories. There's so many little things to, like, so many uh, rooms to explore. Like, you go through a little apartment building, and each apartment building, like, you can maybe break into them if you want, and it'll have its own little, like, like, items that you can look at. Um, But there's also, there's just this, the way that they tease out through the dialogue options, through the conversations that you're having, that there is something maybe otherworldly going on. Hmm. Something that, like, even the like the like your partner doesn't want to confront, the people in the city don't want to confront. Um, like, right now, it's just figuring out who killed this guy, but the world that this, that this team has created is hinting that there's a lot more going on. Hmm. It's just a matter of tugging on all of the different threads that it's constantly uh, feeding you to get to the heart of it. Susan, are you drawn to this based on Dave's description? (sighs) Yes and no. Uh, I... I think that, you know, I love all the systems. I love that it's it's not based on combat, which is is really great. Uh, And... God knows I, I, I love, you know, the nerdery of of systems and RPGs and character development and good writing. What worries me about it is that there's too much. Mm, like, yeah. seven hours in and you've only explored this one little area, because I am the person who, and this is ultimately why I stopped playing Witcher, there was so much and it was all good. Yeah. And I didn't want to leave any of it behind. And that eventually just overwhelmed me. And I'm like, I can't, I can't. Yeah. I I gotta, uh," because Mm. it's not even something like you can sample for a little while and then go play something else and come back in a month because then you've forgotten what everything is and the significance of it and the, and how the threads are coming together. So I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Well, I will say that what this has that like even the Witcher and like other open world games suffer from is that everything that I've seen so far in this game, because it is so dense and so focused on this small little part of this town is that everything matters. Even, Mm. even when it's just like a little side conversation, like everything feels like it has weight to it. Whereas like a lot of the Witcher, like, yeah, this, the story parts of it were really good, but there's a lot of like, clear out this monster nest, go to this place, like travel, you know, 10 minutes on your horse. That's going to go, go like hover into the air. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Don't, Roach has to live how Roach wants to live, okay? <laughs> they didn't get that part right. Way. They didn't get that part right in the Netflix show. I'll tell you that. Well, I, um, I do, but you're absolutely right that that is how The Witcher goes. And that was like a palate cleanser for me. Like I don't yeah. have to be, you know, paying attention to the dialogue and remembering you've mentioned this person and that's significant over here because a lot of the side quests overlapped and yeah. interconnected really tiny stuff mm-hmm. that, that d- didn't ultimately matter capital M, but informed the world. So getting a half hour combat break was actually really nice because it yeah. was a completely different part of my brain. Mm hmm. 
And The Witcher, and games like The Witcher that sort of do this well, Yakuza does it really well as well, where you can look at, say, here's your main quest, and you've picked up these side quests, but you look at your map and you can see these icons between you and your ultimate goal, and say, like, oh, well, I can go check out this treasure, I can go check out this character who's got something else, this hunting spot, whatever, Mm -hmm. And then you can sort of snake your way up and sort of have a plan. And something like Disco Elysium, and honestly, things in the CRPG world of, like, your Planescape torments, your your Baldur's Gates. What's the C for? Computer. I can't. Oh. oh, I think it's just computer RPG, yeah. Oh. Well, because, yeah, yeah, they're they're built in a very different way than, like, JRPGs or... Oh, true. Yeah, Yeah, true, true. So okay. like all of those, it's it's so freeform. You almost can't give yourself a plan. Yeah, you know, like but you said, it's just you have to talk to everybody. I th- but I think that this game leans into that in a really good way. That like you don't re- necessarily need a plan. You're like mm. things that you like conversations that you have with people that you don't think are connected will connect to your case because they might have seen something and then that'll mm-hmm. like check off a uh, part of your quest that or like part of your like uh yeah like it'll update your quest with additional information but like there's also there is a map system that not not only keeps track of all of the quests that you you have but it'll also show you parts on your map once you buy one from the store um where all of the skill checks are Every single skill oh. check that you've like passed or failed. So if there's like, okay, hmm. I need to go, like, I need a particular skill. Okay, that I like a lot. To, to level up, to be able to p- continue this thing, I can go to my map and it'll tell me exactly where that skill check is and what I need for it. That's um, so unusual. That's yeah. so strange. Yeah, it's, there's a lot, there is a lot going on here, but I also, like, I I've, I was looking online, like, the guy, I mean, all of the numbers, whenever, like, a, a game designer or publisher or whatever talk about how long a game is, they always puff up the numbers. Like, mm-hmm. I've heard that this game is supposed to take, like, 60 hours to beat from the developer, and there's, like, 60 hours to finish, uh, if you take your time with it. But, like, how long to beat has it at about 20? Oh, that's awesome. That's and, see, based on what you were saying. I was concerned that this was going to be like 120 hours of no, dialogue. Like it's it, it feels like very dense, uh, and there's a lot going on. But it, but it also feels small in that way too. That it's like very much just about like like maybe a week or so of in-game time that you're actually investigating. But like because there are so many ways to approach this game and so many different like skills to give to your character, like having it only take about 20 to 30 hours to finish means that like, I'm probably going to play this game again, which I rarely do. Um, I'm like, I, I will take the time to try and see like how else I can approach situations. If, Cause if you, uh, the character that I'm running right now has, uh, isn't, empathy build where he's more focused on like intuition and uh determining like emotional states and that sort of thing which has gotten me into a situation where i can talk to the dead body in the tree oh whoa okay i did not see that coming it's not weird i had no idea why that's happening but he's got some really cryptic shit to say um <laughs> but if you build your character out for intelligence or brute strength you won't have that conversation at all which like it will open up and close off different investigative avenues for you um okay like it's all right. 
it's it's a fast it's fascinating like it's yeah. it's weird and really well written and like real and gritty but also funny um man i like i it's i feel like i'm not doing it justice because th- there's a lot going on that i'm trying no, I, to like I piece together I, as a whole yeah but, it sounds like, it sounds like you are it's doing the thing that something wonderful and mysterious does, which is it's not showing its full self to you, but it's showing you just enough to want to pull yeah. you further and further down its rabbit it's, hole. It's like a really good book that you yeah. can play. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That is, man, that is so cool. And an interesting sort of counterpoint to what you are playing right now, Susan, mm-hmm. because Disco Elysium is kind of coming out of nowhere. There was very little hype for it before it came out. But in the couple of weeks since it released, it's been building this huge head of steam. You are playing a role-playing game right now from an incredibly storied developer who... This this is one of the developers that created this genre in the first place. And not only that, but you're playing an RPG that is sort of filling in for another RPG series that has fallen on <laughs> hard times <laughs> for people. How oh, could you be talking about it? I couldn't. I can't imagine what I would be talking talking about. That Alpha Protocol, dog. That's what I'm talking about. No, yeah, I, that game, I that would reboot great. the fuck out of that franchise. I'm I, not gonna lie. Honestly, at this point, now that uh, Microsoft owns obsidian and they've got that first party dosh coming in let them do it again Mm -hmm. buy it from sega let them do it correctly this is all besides the point you're playing outer worlds i am yes and outer worlds is a a a sort of fascinating counterpoint to disco elysium right now it's it is uh tell us tell us what this game is because even i am not totally clear okay so you've seen the show firefly right you know it. Okay. It's that. Oh, tight. <laughs> it is. Say, what, less a, what, less uh, Adam Baldwin, right? Sort of. Yeah. <laughs> um, so if you, if you think of, and there's so many Firefly references in the game that uh, it's, it's clearly not just my imagination. There, like, <laughs> there's, you'll. I'll let you play it and you'll see it because I don't want to spoil it for people. But if you took, I don't know, let's say Fallout and combined it with <laughs> Firefly, like if there was a, a Firefly uh, license of a Fallout game, this is it. 100% this is it. You play a colonist who was lost. Your ship was lost. Uh, there was a random accident and you went off course and the company did the math on how much it would cost to get you back and also they didn't want to deal with the embarrassing PR of oh we lost a colony ship so they're just like <laughs> F it we'll just write it off and isn't that a shame they they went down in flames oh no remember the hope always in our hearts and uh, a guy uh, named Phineas pulls you out wakes you up and is like here's the sitch uh the company are bastards and we need to wake up the rest of the people on this ship so that we can take the company down. And I need your help to do that. And that's the main quest of the story is getting this guy, all the stuff he needs to wake up all the other sleepers on the ship. 
the colony is actually spread out over several different planets and moons and, and uh, space stations. And it is all run by nine corporations who banded together. And there's a board of directors and they make the rules and they determine how much you can eat and how you groom your hair and they Whoa. run your life. And if you say, no, thank you, I don't want any part of that, they cut you off. And so there's this push-pull between, yeah, okay, the board are bastards, but I like eating every day. So, and there's factions on, on each side of that. And then as you go through the, the story, you learn that everybody is slowly starving. Oh, God. And there's this whole story backing that up. So this, there, there's a lot of actually well-constructed story going on. Uh, great sense of humor. The one problem... I, I want to make it clear, I, I really enjoy the game. Right? Like, it's Firefly the RPG. You, sound, up. you sound effusive at this point. 100%. You sound like you like it a lot. The economy is broken. So it's an obsidian game, is <laughs> yeah. what you're saying. Yeah. So there's all these sorts of chems you can find that will you know, increase your health for a short time or whatever, like increase your body stats or your mindsets. Oh, there's food to find. There's drugs to find. You don't need any of it. None of it. And there's so much of it. And it does like lots of things achieve the same thing. So you'll have lots of different meds that up your mind stats. For example, it becomes really hard to keep track of any of it, which is a real shame because they've, they've, done so much work of world building because different companies sell different stuff. So Spacer's mm. Choice sells one line of products and Auntie Cleo sells another line of products and the packaging is different and they have jingles and it's really such great world building and you're just like, oh, I'm going to sell all of this. Just sell it. <laughs> just selling it. And uh, the, the same is, is true of the armor and the weapons. Uh, I've, I've got, you know, tens of thousands of dollars because I've never felt that I need to go to a store and buy anything. Mm. If you are the kind of person who does all the side quests, tries to find the hidden loot, you will be so OP. Yeah. Which is a real shame. Like, I'm sitting here, I'm, I'm playing on the, the standard difficulty, and the combat is just so easy. It's funny, that was going to be my very first question, was when you realized that this was the case, did you up the difficulty? I, I didn't, uh, because even if the combat was harder, it's... It's not that interesting. Yeah. yeah. You can, when you get really, really deep into the game, you get to see how the corners have been cut. Mm. For example, the one, the one thing they did, freaking genius. This is such a genius way around this. It's a colony, right? So it comes with a bunch of prefab buildings. Because mm -hmm. that's just, like, if you think about moving a bunch of people across space... You're going to make giving them quarters as easy as possible. It's all prefab, which means all of the buildings look exactly the same. Oh, that's very simple. The, the cannery. Clean. Yeah. 
the cannery has the exact same layout as the Sisty Pig factory. Houses in one town look just like houses in another town, which is a genius bit of lore building to make Mm. it easier on them development-wise. But it also means every big fight you have kind of feels exactly the same. There aren't that many different kinds of enemies. There's, I think, maybe three kinds of creature. And then there's the different factions, along with, you know, the, the generic marauders who will try sure. to kill you every so often. Uh, so it's just, and if you choose a build that favors persuasion or lying or something verbal like that, you can talk your way out of most fights anyway. Hmm. So, meh. it's really it's it's funny. This is this is a classic problem with character building game, and uh, it's why I hate Bioshock because oh Bio- yeah, it's really easy Bi- to break. Bioshock yeah. gives you this. People are like, oh, Bioshock's amazing. Like it gives you this infinite choice and all this different ability to tackle situations depending on how you carry character. None of it matters. No. None of it. None of it matters. There's no reason to do any of it. And if you try to make the slider like, all right, well, I'm just going to make the game hard. Mm-hmm. All it does is make the exact same shit take longer. It doesn't yeah, exactly. make it more interesting. Exactly. It yeah. doesn't make it more all of a sudden intellectually rigorous. I I wonder, based on what you're saying, like you want to be there. You want to yeah. be in that place so much, and you want a reason to be there. Mm-hmm. And if they had just leaned a little bit heavier in the direction of non-traditional activities, rather than combat, rather than stat building, all these different right. things, if they sort of took the Disco Elysium tag, this would have been a more interesting game. It would. It would. Like, this is... This is this is the game like you it's it it's got the foundation. It's got the DNA to be phenomenal. Mm. But it only took it so far. Right? If the enemies were more varied, if the if you can modify your guns. There's a, there's you can find a workbench and you can modify a gun, which is you can stick a mod on it to change the kind of damage it does or how big the magazine is. Or you can tinker with it, which is to spend money to just make it more powerful. It's a very robust system, which doesn't matter because you're going to find four guns that you like the best. Yeah. There's going to be your silenced one, your one that's really powerful, your one that does a particular flavor of damage. Like there's four different kinds of damages. It doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> like there's, there's four different kinds of damage. Shut up, Obsidian. Come right, on. It doesn't matter. There's plasma. There's N wave or something. Radiation. There's uh, so f- fire, corrosion, electricity, and then radiation. Who cares? It doesn't matter. It it just really doesn't matter. The the bits are all there, but it's that last turn of the wrench to tighten yeah. everything up and just make it a little bit more sophisticated the 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 it you can just see it you can just see that top layer just isn't there and so, i don't know if it's a they wanted to make sure it worked because it's not buggy that's a first yeah it's i i've seen 
I, like I played the first like hour or two of it and no issues whatsoever. No rotating yeah. heads like in New <laughs> Vegas. <laughs> nope. One thing happened to me one time, which is I lost the sound of my weapons. So like reloading or firing, the sound dropped off and I quit and came back and it worked perfectly. So I don't know if the goal was, all right, we know our reputation for releasing buggy games. We're going to release something rock solid. And so we'll, we'll reduce the sophistication of it by 25%. Sure. And that's what they did. Or if it was a time thing or a money thing, I don't know. But there is that layer missing. And I want it. I mm. want it real bad. I, I wonder if, uh, like, you, you talked about, like, the fact that there are... Um only a handful of enemies and stuff. I wonder yeah. if it is like a scale thing that if it's like, if they had focused on like maybe fewer areas to explore, but made those areas that are there more meaningful mm-hmm. that like make those encounters more meaningful. Like if, cause like that, that's my thing with disco Elysium is that it's focusing so much on just this, uh, like someone I remember saying in, in discussion about this, like someone mentioned Warren Spector had an idea for an RPG that took place on one city block. And then, oh, like, wow. that's, that's kind of idea. what this is. Yeah, that's uh, interesting. So I wonder if, like, because, like, there's a certain expectation in the AAA space, especially with the game from a studio like Obsidian mm-hmm. that looks like, well, we got to have, like, five worlds. We got to have, you know, different biomes. You we got to have, have combat. Yeah. You got to have like, combat. There has to like, be 80 different factions that you have. You can put against yeah. each other or whatever. Yeah. So, like, I wonder if, if, if that's kind of where we're at now where it's like rather than going bigger a company like obsidian needs to think smaller yeah i i I think you're you're onto something because when you look at the different environments one of one of them is called the groundbreaker it is a free ship in the colony because the pilot had that in her contract i will pilot your colonists out here when i have completed that run this ship is mine and it is free from, it is not under your jurisdiction. Hmm. Actually put that in her contract. And it is such a well thought out, fully realized space, but it's, it's, it's petite, right? It's, Mm -hmm. it's, it's, you know, it's modest, but then there's lots of secrets to find and there's all these little nooks and crannies with little bits of story and it's great. And then you'll go to an entire world air quote. That's got like nothing. It's got two plot points on it. And then that's it. Yeah. I would much rather have just everything takes place on groundbreaker. Fine. (laughs) It's, it's, I, I feel like we're getting to a moment where and like I just really hope this is true but it seems like it is that we're getting to a place where the largest publishers who still have these huge sales expectations are going to have the freedom to a make games that are more modest in scale mm. like this like what you're describing and also free from the expectation of like well you got this better be all about guns and stats mm. and character mm-hmm. Because otherwise, people aren't going to be interested. And I just don't think that that's true anymore. Like, yes, when you look at, like, the the top ten uh, games in terms of revenue generated at the end of the year, yes, it's still going to be uh, Tom Clancy's Ghostfucker 9000. Wow. Not true, and though. 
because Ubisoft I, just posted earnings and like Ghost Recon fell on its fucking face. Right. And Division like, 2 did not meet expectations. This, and this is what I'm saying. Like we're finally starting yeah. to see a little and like next week we're we're recording this not even a full 7 days before Death Stranding comes out. And if Death Stranding does what everyone thinks it's going to do in terms of sales, that'll be it. Like all that is is one of the Boondock Saints walking around with a backpack, kids. Like yeah. that's that, that will finally have evidence that you don't need bang bang shoot 'em ups. And uh, man, I don't know. I it's so strange that here is Obsidian, uh, the the survivor that is Obsidian. Coming out with a game that is out fallouting everything with the word fallout on it from the past four years. And the the reality is, is Bethesda, the developer, stands in stark contract contrast to Bethesda, the publisher, who has been willing to support so many more modest, mm. small, interesting things at the same time. Like, how much m- more wonderful would Fallout 4 had been if they made a smaller, denser, more detailed world that was, say, as modest as Prey in, right. in terms of its scale and its ambition. God, Prey is so good. I was just, I, I was going to say, Susan, t- listening to both I, these descriptions of Disco Elysium and Outer Worlds, I just keep thinking about like Prey and being like, wow, that game's fucking cool. It's so good. <laughs> because can it I, does both of these things. Anyway, go ahead. Can I break from our format because there's another game I played recently. Oh, yeah. That has zero combat. Call an audible. Do it. And it's one of the best game experiences I've ever had in my entire life. Ooh. Whoa, what? I'm surprised that you didn't want to talk about this up front. I well, I mean, the Outer Worlds is the is the is the new hotness, and I thought people would be more interested in that. But the return of the Oberdin. Oh, you played yeah. it finally. I did. It is one of the most creative, interesting, enjoyable games ever made. And now that it is on more that than just PC. Yeah. I urge everybody like, okay, like, let's be honest. You'll hear game journalists go off about something and be like, Oh my God, it's the game of the year. It's so amazing. And it's this little weird indie looking thing. And you're like, shut the fuck up. Game journalists. You're, you're <laughs> I feel like I'm being attacked here. You are being attacked. Well, I like. mean, mm, actually, but, no, Susan and I both named fucking severed our games of the year. <laughs> True. <laughs> that game's amazing though. Uh, and th- and that's uh, honestly that's why I was really hesitant because the, uh, our colleagues were so gushy about Oberdin and it's got this weird name and it looks weird and no it's actually that goddamn good it's so inventive and what 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 drives me over the moon about it is no combat none zero there's no jumping there's no box puzzles there's no there's <laughs> nothing. <laughs> Anthony like, almost spit out his coffee. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing like you've been groomed to expect. Here's the sitch. It is 19th century England. The ship, the Oberdin, has come back into port with not a single one of its crew on board. It's a ghost ship. You have been contracted by the East India Company to go onto the ship, 
find out what happened to the crew and the passengers. You receive a notebook, a journal with an artist drawing. There was an artist on the ship and he drew everybody on there. So you have to identify them, figure out, yes, this person is, is that name, and then fill out in the journal, this name, this thing happened to them. You have to dis- explain their fate. They were shot by so-and-so, or they survived and are living in such-and-such. The way you do this, you also receive in the same package a magical pocket watch that will take you back to the moment of a person's death. So you go around the ship and you find these different moments. This is not a spoiler because it's the first thing right as you walk on the deck, you see a skeleton. Okay, you whip out the pocket watch. And then, like you're in a diorama, you see the guy as the bullet. It's, it's like you're in the Matrix, right? Like when Neo was like all, zoom, I can, I can freeze bullets in that. That's what it's in. You can walk fully around this guy as he's being shot. You can see the person shooting him. You can see what else is going on in a limited range. You can walk away from that and say, who's down the hall? Yeah, in I've, the captain's I've de- quarters. I've described it to people as the detective mode from Arkham, yep. uh, the Arkham games, but cool instead yes. of stupid. Yes. <laughs> actual detective work. It's it is actual, a- de- it is actual <laughs> detective work. It is at, you, you take, you have to look for clues, you have to make inferences, you have to figure things, actually use your brain to figure things out to find out what happened to all of these people and piece together the chronology of what happened to the Oberdin, bit by bit by bit. It's fucking amazing. Susan, you're playing it on Switch, right? Nope, PS4. Oh, you're playing it on PS4. That's interesting. Yes. I was yes. I was really hoping to hear what you thought of playing it in handheld mode. I, mm. I downloaded Oberdin when it came out on PC last year, mm-hmm. and I had that experience where I played like five minutes of something I received a code for it, and I was like, I don't want to play it like this. I want to play it on Switch. I'm leaving until it's on Switch. Goodbye. My and one concern about it being on Switch. Yeah. The visual style is a choice, and even on my big TV, there were times where the lo-fi visuals made it difficult to understand what I was looking at. What you're seeing. And yeah. I, like... I, I found in, again, I played a very limited amount of Oberdin. But my experience was that that sort of obfuscation was a little bit of point. Like, it seemed like, you know, part of the joy of looking at these was some of the time sitting there and being like, what am I even seeing? The, the, the joy, yes. But the joy there is because the, the things that are happening are so out of context are so bizarre and confusing. Yeah. But sometimes it really is just I don't know what don't know this, what this piece is. of this art guy, is trying this guy's to represent. Face is so pixely. I can't. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I you can understand why I automatically assume this developer is trying to make you uncomfortable. Because Papers, Please is just an un- a discomfort simulator. Yeah. It's how, how can I make you feel unpleasant in 72 different ways at the same time? <laughs> <laughs> 
But yeah, but, it's I'm I, I'm so I'm thrilled to hear that you really 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 like it. And I feel like this is another one that, like Papers, Please, is just going to continue over the next couple of years to ha- have people find it. Yeah. Have you finished it yet? Oh, yeah, I'm done. I'm, yeah. I 100%ed that shiz. Uh, I just, I, you know, I want, I want to bring it to people's attention because of exactly what you were talking about. Not everything has to be the thing that yeah. we're used to or the thing that sold a bazillion copies. It is possible to make really amazing experiences that don't rely on combat, that don't rely on the same things. This is, you've never played anything like this before. Ever. Yeah. And Dude, what's that cat's name? The Papers, Please, Oberdin guy? Oh, God, what is his name? Pope. Pope. Lucas Pope, yeah. Lucas yeah. Pope. Lucas Pope is... is Fucking keeping it real yeah. out in Game Town, that guy. Dave, you've not played Oberdin? That oh, surprises I did. Me. I played it last you, year. Okay, yeah. yeah, yeah. Did we talk about it on the show? I don't For know if we talked like about it on the show. I we're talking about it. I feel like my... So I I have dumb brain. <laughs> <laughs> like, I was able to get through this... Like, you can get through the story of that game just fine uh, without little resistance. Like, you, like, I think you have to find a couple, like... There are like a couple required things you have to figure out, but you can just kind of go through and like finish it and go, okay. And then, um, because I'm a dumb brain, I, there's just so much of that that I couldn't figure out. And I like, I was, I was impatient. I wanted to get to the next game. So like I started looking it up and once you start looking it up, the magic of that game is gone. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like I still, like I appreciated what it was trying to do, but both in my impatience and my dumb brainness, I don't think I appreciated it nearly as much as those who were able to figure it out for themselves. Um, the, the non dumb brains as it were. I, to your point, Dave. So I got, there are 60 people that you have to account for. And I accounted for, I think, 20 of them, 25, something like that. And that's the, and I got to the point where you could, you could finish the game. And I was convinced. I'm like, there's no way. This is all super obscure. There's no way you can figure out who anybody else is. And then I got the bad ending. And I was like, all right, wait a minute. Hmm. Let me go back and let me just see if I can... And I just worked at it and yeah. worked at it. And then the, the there's a there's a key discovery you can make. And once you like, <gasps> and then it's like, yes, now I must figure out you, all of it. You were a detective. You did yeah. a real detective thing. Yeah, I'm I'm grateful because I know that my dumb brain isn't the kind of dumb brain that can't hang with Oberdin style mm-hmm, stuff, mm-hmm. as opposed to like. Gorogoa, and I swear to God, I wish my Switch was in here and not upstairs in my bed <laughs> so I could prove that it's still, like, sitting there in the top row of icons. See, that's and the... Like, I, I hear people... Like, you talk about, like, that game being hard and fresh. I finished it no problems in, like, two hours. I, that like, game, just, like, I breezed through it, and then I hear people like, oh, it's so hard, and I'm like... I'm, it is, it but, is really hard. <laughs> but I'm... Like, may, like maybe that's just how my brain works. My, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, like here's fit on your brain. Yeah, bump, bump, done. Hour and a half. I, like that sort of puzzle. Whenever I encounter it, I immediately turn into the apes at the beginning of two thousand one. Oh yeah. <laughs> like yeah. I'm just like, yeah. <laughs> throwing a bone at the screen. That's me with Untitled Goose Game. Oh I, really? I You're can't kidding. Figure it out. Yeah. No. Oh, Go- Goose Game is the type. 
see, okay, environmental puzzles where it's just like observe what is in your surroundings, like mm-hmm. Oprah Din. Mm-hmm. I like that's I don't I I it's the kind of thing where I don't even have to stop. Where mm-hmm. it's just like like Goose Game, I would just walk into an environment, immediately pick up the one thing, and just it do what comes naturally. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> do, and especially in the case of Goose Game, which is just like relentlessly fuck with. Yeah, people. yeah, I feel like that game in particular is really well tuned to your. Yeah, they, yeah, I felt very seen by that title. <laughs> let me say. <laughs> But that, that is that is actually very on point for what I've been playing over the past few days. We're recording this two days after Halloween. Uh, I've been playing Luigi's Mansion 3. Tell me everything. Yeah, so Luigi's Mansion 3 is delightful. And when I started it up, my first thought was, Ah, look, how pleasant. They've made Luigi's Mansion. More of it. That's exactly <laughs> what I wanted. But now that I've sort of gotten into it, I'm about three hours into the game Mm -hmm. and it is pretty beefy. Uh, Did you guys play Luigi's Mansion 2, the 3DS one, Dark Moon? Mm -hmm. Mm -mm. Okay, you know what? While that game is still widely available and you have a 3DS that you can download things on or go to Amazon and pay like 10 bucks, Mm -hmm. get that game before it becomes a collector's item. Because Luigi's Mansion 2 is wonderful. It's one of the best things on the 3DS. And I felt like it was really overlooked when it came out back in uh, 2013 at this point. It's great. And this is the same developer. It's Next Level Games. Uh, best known for the, for Captain America, the first Avenger. Uh, and, uh, no, Next they Level made Games punch is out. They made Punch-Out! They made Excite Truck. They're, they're a very, very good studio that does their very best work when they're under Nintendo's uh, care, care, uh, for lack of a better term. And Luigi's Mansion 2 was more Luigi's Mansion, but bigger. It was very uh, much a classical sequel, where it's like, all right, we'll we'll do the same thing, but now there's an ice mansion, and a Mm. fire mansion, and a plant mansion, and... Luigi could get all these attachments for his uh, ghost vacuum cleaner and all of those things. And it was great, but it wasn't sort of grand. It felt very Mm -hmm. small. Being a handheld game, that's not too surprising. And it was amazing because it felt like you were playing in these little dioramas. And so Luigi's Mansion 3 very deceptively makes the game feel much bigger very, very fast. The premise is Luigi, Princess Peach, Mario, everybody got invitations in the mail to come to the most luxurious grand hotel in the land. Have they not I, learned? They don't learn. No, never. They're just a bunch of fucking dummies. God, all right. <laughs> uh, permanent amnesia all and of the dig time. dig this, dig this, cats. They get there, they check in, and then, like, it picks up at night. And everything's now spooky. During the day, everything's golden hallways, sunlight pouring in. And then at night, there's like pumpkins and monster balloons and all the leaves have gone off the trees outside the windows. And that's when you notice fucking Luigi's room is between Princess Peach's room and Mario's room. Trouble in paradise, dogs. They're (laughs) sleeping in separate rooms. It's a real bummer. (laughs) 
<laughs> but so you real you find out that the hotel is run by a lady ghost who looks like the ghost of the swinging psychic from Psychonauts. Oh but, yeah, 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 yeah. And she's, yeah. she's got hairspray hair though instead of uh, Jackie O hair. And she has teamed up with King Boo, who's still fucking pissed at Luigi for putting him in a, a ghost vacuum cleaner Fair. all the way back in the original. I mean... All this sounds like it's just more Luigi's Mansion. Luigi has to catch stuff. Then you get the vacuum cleaner. Then you find Professor Egad, who I think is my favorite Nintendo character at this point. The little old man from the original one with just one little wisp of hair. I like the and way he, he runs in this. Oh, it's awesome the way he runs. It's so much fun. He's just like full tilt, head back. He still talks in the same weird gibberish of, Oh, He just sounds like an ornery Jawa. And <laughs> once you free him and have explored the, the lobby and the first floor of the hotel you find out that the central structure is there are 17 floors to the hotel and the ghosts have stolen the buttons on the elevator. (laughs) And so you find, like, once you go to a floor, every different floor of the hotel is themed. So, like, the fifth floor is all of the shops that are in the hotel. There's a clothing shop and a coffee shop and all of these different little things. And there will be like a big bad ghost that is in there. And so in that one, there's a security guard ghost. ghost, uh, Your Paul Blart ghost, essentially. (laughs) And once you catch him, he'll have more elevator buttons and then you get to go to other floors. That's cute. I like that. It's super cool. And... I will say, I, I really love the original Luigi's Mansion for GameCube still. Mm-hmm. That's one of those games I go back and replay every few years because it's three hours long. You know, it's like a long movie. And I like that game just because it's so fucking weird. It's so bizarre. And it really is like a great ghost house. You know, there's like butler ghosts and a baby ghost. And it's just... It's, also, it's a, got some like Metroidvania stuff to it too. Just the way that it like slowly... Winds you through. Yeah. Right. And this doesn't feel weird. What it is is just great little pocket environmental puzzles. Mm. Very much in that sort of uh, Untitled Goose game, or even like Oberdin of saying, I'm going to go in this place, I'm going to observe my surroundings and figure out what I have to do. Mm. And by 90 minutes in, you have unlocked. The, the big innovation of this game, which is Gooigi. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and you start to get into the puzzles of trying to navigate two bodies in space, one of whom can do everything that the other can, but is very fragile. Mm. And it is some of the most fun puzzle solving I have done in a game in a while. Uh... I got to that uh, shopping floor that I was just talking about. And one of the first things that you can do is the door to where all the shops is locked. Can't go in there. Down the hall are two bathrooms. The ladies' room is out of order. The men's room is open. You could go in the men's room. It's perfectly clean. There are no ghosts in it. 
you find a key in there, but you can also do a thing where Luigi can shoot a plunger from his vacuum cleaner and then vacuum the plunger to pull things off of walls. Got it. Or move heavy objects. Okay. So you can move part of the wall, and under the wall you find a pipe. You can send Gooigi through the wall into the ladies' room. Oh my goodness. Where one of the toilets is overflowing. Gooigi, being made of goo, cannot touch water. On the other side of the overflowing water is a jewel, like treasure. Mm-hmm. And so all of a sudden you're like, how the fuck am I going to get past all of this toilet water with my slime mustache, man? <laughs> <laughs> what am I going to do? And you just got to think about it. The game doesn't tell you shit. There's no, hey, listen. There's none of that. It's just raw, you're in the environment, figure it out, go have fun. I it's, like that a lot. Oh, oh it's a delight. And I, I, I got to give it to these guys. Next Level Games it has a very just keen eye for detail. You can tell why Nintendo trusts them mm-hmm. with their stuff. The, so Gooigi can move through solid objects, like greats. Mm-hmm. or gates over doors. When you push against a gate, there's just that moment of resistance and then <laughs> give, where it really feels like... <laughs> and the sound it makes, too. It's, it's <laughs> like every time it happens, I'm just like, because I've been playing it with my son, every time it happens, I'm just, yuck. Yuck. Just, just, ugh. <laughs> Yuck. Gross. Oh, man. It makes me so happy in every way. I, I I want everyone to play this game. It's also a Switch game that I really encourage people to play on your TV. Because uh, it's friggin' gorgeous. It's just very clean looking and really, really nice. It's a nice... I, it's weird to say. It makes me say yuck, but it is like a nice palate cleanser. Uh, especially if you've been playing a lot of this like overwhelming story stuff. Man, I, I really wonder what's going on with Mario and Peach, though. That's separate They're in rooms. counseling, okay? Separate like, don't rooms. worry about it. But, like, why would he bring his brother if they're going on a getaway <laughs> vacation? He's a mediator. It's just... They just, they, they, they're really sad. Like, he's he's been having some hard times. Like, look... We have to bring him along. Like he needs, he needs this. He needs to get out. Uh, one, one more thing. You guys remember how in the original? Uh, why would I ask? You remember this game from two thousand one? This very small detail in the original Luigi's Mansion. The way you track things on a map is he gives you a Game Boy Horror yes. instead of a Game Boy Color. Which is still a delightful touch. Mm-hmm. This time, Professor Egad gives you a virtual boo. Ah! And he just, he straight up gives you a virtual boy helmet. Says, this is your map system and how I'll communicate with you. And so your map is constantly in red and black. That's it's amazing. In red and black. And every now and again, he'll call you to tell you what your like main goal is. And his head is rendered in the same shitty 3D of an actual <laughs> Virtual Boy. Like, it looks like a Virtual Boy. So that's, that is keen. 
you guys. Well I, done. Like, it, it's the kind of thing that makes you go like, okay, Nintendo, I guess, does recognize that the Virtual Boy existed. Yes, they're they're <laughs> acknowledging their their torrid their own haunted past. <laughs> I, I will say, I, releasing this game on Halloween, cool. Like, I I understand why you want to release the ghost game on Halloween, but this I wish that this was released just like two weeks before Halloween. Because mm-hmm. it's explicitly Halloweeny. There are jack-o'-lanterns and whatnot that you could throw at rats, which is also just the fact that you could <sighs> vacuum up a pumpkin and throw it at a rat is my favorite thing. In addition to all of the people that caused this show to happen, you are my other favorite things. Uh, Dave, who are the people that made this happen? Those are the people in your neighborhood. <laughs> your name. <laughs> People. And your Patreon. Oh, <laughs> there oh that you was go. really good. That's really there tight. Go. There you go. Uh, yes, our our special Patreon backers over at patreon.com slash continue podcast. We'll give a special shout out here to Ryan Brady, Nick Grugan, Yaddle, Gluttony One of Seven, Ryan Mance, Double Taco, Pete, Adam Condra, Matthew Peters, Michael Coffey, Thierry Belair, The Fancy Manatee, Denton Brock, Elio Dare, Stormshot, Frank Sands, Kaylin Houston, Tyler Nilsson, Shane Nilsson, Jacob Christos, Chris Cook, Skip Dippity, Tim Chesson, Daniel Squire, and Tom. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so, so much, everybody. And if you are just one of our listeners, we know you exist. We've seen the numbers. Thank you so much for listening. And if you feel like giving a, a, us a dollar, we all need copies of Death Stranding, dogs. If you guys want us all to play Death Stranding, you go to that Patreon and we will talk about Brandy Babies for okay, you. They're, they're going to take money away from us now because they right. don't want us to talk yeah, about Death Stranding. Yeah. So I don't like yeah. don't do that. Like they indulge just watching The Descent. I don't think. Yeah, no, yeah. we're, we're going to go too far. Which of us is going to take the bullet uh, on Star Wars Fallen Jedi? Is it me? It ain't me. It's me, isn't it? I know. Dude, yeah. It's an EA game. That, that'll be twenty dollars after yeah, Christmas. It'll, yeah, it'll, you're be, not uh, wrong. it'll be twenty yeah. bucks by Christmas. Well, no, I want Oberdin to be my Christmas game because I like. Oh. I want to get through Death Stranding. I want to get through Star Wars, and then Christmas Oberdin. It's so good. I can't it's wait. So I can't wait. God, it's so good. Uh, yeah, guys, if you feel like giving us a dollar, honestly, that helps us uh, justify this to all three of our spouses. <laughs> and it lets us play more things to talk about on this show. My copy of Luigi's Mansion 3 is a direct result of Patreon money coming to this show. So thank you for that. And, um, um, oh, I, I'll give a special shout out to uh, James Davenport over at PC Gamer, who gave, who gave me the code for Disco Elysium. Oh, uh, I was, awesome. I was, yeah, I was talking about it on Twitter. I was like, well, I'm going to have to wait till I get my Christmas bonus because I don't have any money right now. And he's like, check your check your email. Oh, so that's thank a awesome you. thing to do. That's lovely. Uh, otherwise, if you are one of our listeners who's not a Patreon backer and you can't back, we totally understand that. Share the show with one of your friends. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review on Spotify. And I don't know, man, just talk to us. Just tell us what you want on the show. We're, we're all lonely. available. Like we're all lonely. <laughs> we're all desperate for your love. It's true. Just go go to Twitter, uh, where you can find us. Uh, you can go to at continuepod. You can find our website. It's continuepod.com. You go to patreon.com slash continuepodcast. 
to back us if you so choose. Dave, where can the people find you? Find me on Twitter at David Robots. I'm and lo- looking forward to those hot Kojima takes. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Susan, where can know. people find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Susan Arndt. Susan, you got, you got some feature on mobile games coming up? Where's that? I do. Can you uh, talk about that? Uh, well, I'm not sure when it's going to be published, but yes, I have uh, been working on a feature of the Hidden Gems of Apple Arcade for Ars Technica. Oh, awesome. That's very exciting. Uh, that Kyle Orland rolling out his feature work. I'm excited about that. That is cool. I'm glad you're working with uh, that that team. I'm uh, just glad somebody's going to let me write about mobile games. Let you write about mobile games. I am findable on Twitter, fitfully, where you can find me drinking <laughs> fitfully. grotesque concoctions just to prove other people wrong about mustard. Uh, at what? A. John Ignello. Wait, yeah, what? What is this? I what? just I keep yelling at every, everybody who talks about food on Twitter at this point. I'm yelling at them to add mustard to it. Oh, yeah, I saw that. Mustard's good, man. <laughs> I mean, it's some deli- mustard is, yeah. It's delicious. I love it. We're talking mustard. like Dijon? Like, what are you? I'm talking mustard? about French's yellow, no, talking baby. talking about your basic yellow Talk about hot dog mustard. Mustard. Yeah. <laughs> Yuck. Yuck. That's the Guigi of condiments. Uh, you can find me at A. John Agnello. I'm not you sure that also... makes the point you think it does. <laughs> Uh, by the time our next episode is up, not only will we be talking about Death Stranding, my next feature for The Ringer will be up. That'll be at theringer.com. You can just look up my name, Anthony John Agnello. Until then, everybody, thank you so, so much. We'll see you in two weeks. Goodbye. Bye, everybody. Goodbye.